everybody aloha and welcome back to the brick house for another edition of bose football final here at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts i'm your host rob demello joining me we got former university of hawaii player and coach rich miano we got former rainbow warrior offensive lineman rj hollis and guys a couple of days later the 808 is still buzzing after the University of Hawaii football team pulled off the improbable upset over 18th-ranked Fresno State and an empty Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Offense, defense, special teams delivered. We have so much to talk about in regards to this game that I think we are all going to be talking about for many, many years to come. The program's first win over a ranked opponent since 2010. And without a doubt, the signature victory for head coach Todd Graham here in his first two seasons as head coach for the Rainbow Warriors. Let's start this thing off first. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago against San Jose State in that loss of why was that loss different? Why did that one seem to sting a little bit more than previous losses? We talked about New Mexico State victory a couple of weeks ago in regards to why was that so important? Why did the Bows need to get this win? So, RJ, I'm going to start with you. Explain to us how big that was. We all know victory over ranked opponent, victory over rival, the circumstances of an empty stadium for an eighth consecutive home game dating back to 2020, everything that goes around with it. But why was that victory one that we are going to be talking about for many, many years? Um, you know, Rob, you you said something uh, a couple weeks ago on Bo's football final about just how hard it is to to always chase that 2007 season to always chase that that june jones era to always be kind of stuck in the past and always trying to chase that perfection that it seems like we would never get to saturday night uh brought it back to life a football program that's been living in its past this to me was the hugest sigh of relief to a program to a fan base that has been yearning for national attention that has been yearning for a win that puts you back in that spotlight of the days of old. Make no mistake about it. Hawaii has beat Fresno before I beat Fresno. University of Hawaii has beat Fresno State before, but them putting themselves in the position of being the 18th ranked team in the country to do that in front of no fans. You now pull the University of Hawaii out of yesteryear, and instead of talking about what happened in 2007, what happened with June Jones was here, we are now discussing the future of the current Hawaii football warriors, and we're going to be discussing for years when Fresno State came into an empty TC Ching and the defense lost its mind, and we won that game. I think that's the biggest part is that now, we're looking at the University of Hawaii football today. We don't have to go back to 2006, 2007, and 2010 to find those feelings of greatness. We're now getting them here in the year 2021. Rich Miano, we're going to talk a lot of X's and O's, so I don't want X's and O's right here. I want biggest takeaway 
from this Hawaii victory big picture? Well, and from a personal standpoint, my credibility comes back into play because I've been saying all along, this offensive line could run the ball, that Day-Day Hunter would have a night-night, as Kanoa Leahy would say, <laughs> and run aggressively. Talking about defense, Darius Moussao, Corey Bethley, uh, Quentin Frazier, um, Cortez Davis, when you see a plus five in the turnover uh, ratio, that percentage of wins is usually right around 95, 98%. So to see them take the ball away in, as a former defensive coach and a defensive player, to me, that was enlightening to see them play defense at a very high level against an, against an offensive team that had a quarterback, had a receiver, had a running back, had athletes, and had performed well on a national stage. I think their dreams are still in front of them in terms of the pursuit of a Mountain West championship in terms of their pursuit of a bowl game and to their pursuit, as RJ mentioned, for national credibility. This was the first game this season that I think the nation recognized that Hawaii is back to playing football. Well, obviously this victory, a big one for the University of Hawaii football team, moving to three and three overall, one and one in the Mountain West Conference. And just to set the table, and if you didn't uh, know what happened already or you didn't watch the game I don't know why you're listening to Bo's football final I mean come on like you need to get a grip of yourself over here but uh, a 17 point fourth quarter uh, outscoring the Bulldogs by 17 in order to take the 27-24 victory and obviously as Rich uh, mentioned six turnovers forced by the defense that's the first time that the UH program has done that since 2011 uh, and we have so much to talk about in regards to the defense, Corey Bethley was a man on fire on Saturday in Manoa, and we are definitely going to talk about what this defense did. But without a doubt, when this game kicked off, the biggest storyline and, and the biggest headline and the biggest stunner before the eventual stunner that would come later was that Shevin Cordero was not starting this game at quarterback for the Rainbow Warriors. Uh, an injury suffered against New Mexico State that head coach Todd Graham and the team were able to keep under wraps for the week as you entered this ball game against Fresno State. Obviously, the Bulldogs had no idea that Shevin Cordero would not be able to play in this football game. And so then the shoulder gets tapped by the true freshman, Braden Shager out of Texas, who just months ago was walking the line, graduating in the Lone Star State from high school. And here he is playing against the 18th ranked team in the country on national television. He starts that opening drive and it's 11 plays. They march down the field. They get a touchdown, eventually take a 10-0 lead in the first quarter. Second and third quarters, the offense stalled. Then he stalled. Let's be honest about what happened there. It was unable to... Uh, get into a rhythm offensively and then in the fourth quarter again paced by the defense continually turning the ball over and, and putting momentum back on the side of Manoa was able to regain his spark and, and and really put himself into the history books here for the Rainbow Warriors becoming the second straight true freshman to win a game as a starter and the first was Shevin Cordero of course um, and Shager goes 11 of 27 116 yards passing, two touchdowns, was sacked only once, and that was a lost fumble on that sack. No interceptions. He had a long of 26 yards. Uh, he was also able to gain 16 yards rushing uh, with the sack of nine yards. 
uh, took away nine. Uh, and so therefore he had uh, seven yards rushing, but Braden Shager, what he was able to do in this football game to help the university of Hawaii win this uh, headlined by the beautiful touch pass to Calvin Turner Jr. in the corner of the end zone. That was an unbelievable grab uh, by Turner. Rich Miano, how impressed were you with the youngster, the teenager at quarterback for the Bows? Yeah, and we've heard so much about his decision-making, about his accuracy, uh, about his prep career, and that he was Todd Graham's best, maybe uh, freshman quarterback recruit in, in, in a very long uh, career that Todd Graham has had. So, you know, there were some expectations that this young man could uh, handle th this position, but to come in uh, with short notice, to come in with not that many game reps leading up to this uh, Fresno State matchup against a nationally ranked team on national television, the first quarter was really impressive. Uh, even though that ball was underthrown to Nick Martner, that first deep ball that went down to about the one yard line, it was still of a heck of a throw, heck of a decision when he saw man coverage. And then there were some, you know, hiccups in the second and third quarter. And I thought, you know, maybe they went vertical too long. Maybe they weren't running mesh routes and bubble screens and smokes and hitches and really gave this young man some confidence. But Day Day Hunter kept running the football, which I think added a lot of confidence to Braden Schrager in this offense. But then in the fourth quarter, when they finally started to run some bunch formations with some crossing routes, they got the tight end Caleb Phillips involved uh, in a crucial situation. And then the throw to Calvin Turner in the back left-hand corner of the end zone. It was so athletic, so well-placed. I thought he finished strong. I think this will lead to having a really good backup quarterback uh, for the rest of the season. And when Shevin Cadero gets back and gets into rhythm, again, they have two quarterbacks now. And, you know, the saying is if you have two, it's sometimes you don't have one. Well, we know who 1A is, but at least there is a 1B. Yeah, and the 1B stands for Braden right there. And Braden Shager, as far as what he was able to do against Fresno State. And let's be clear here. I'm not a betting man. But if I were a betting man, I yes. would say that there is no chance that Todd Graham, the University of Hawaii football team, offers any indication of how healthy Shevin Cordero may or may not be after this bye week leading into their game against Nevada here in a couple of weeks. It would make zero sense. They were able to keep the injury of Shevin under wraps uh, to, to gain an advantage against Fresno State. And now they have a bye week and then another week of preparation for Nevada where the big question is going to be, okay, who's going to start at quarterback? And I'm sure we are not going to know that answer. Uh, but RJ Hollis, no matter what happens here moving forward, whether it's Shevin Cordero, whether it's Braden Shager, how big was it for this team to witness the true freshmen go in there and help lead them to a victory because there's a chance that maybe he needs to do it again. How big was it for the team to see that? Uh, it, it was absolutely huge. Uh, it was, it was monumental. It, it made this win that much more sweet because we knew, like Rich said, our one A is on the sideline when we have to go face off against a, a number 18 Fresno. But I think it was big day day Hunter popping out, going for over the century mark. 127 yards. Dedrick Parson, a quiet contributor at over 10 yards a carry. He only got four, but he got 40 yards in that Calvin Turner was able to rush. And, and you saw that this offense was able to open itself up more than depend on just having a star studded player. Uh, uh, one thing that Rich alluded to, and one thing that I think really opened up for this offense was, I think you've seen the first touchdown that was scored 
by an offensive play. I think it was drawn up, and that's what made it score. You had Nick Martiner coming over the middle, going towards the left, and the defenders were so hungry to jump on him that it left Caleb Phillips wide open, crossing over to the right. It was kind of the same as them hiding the injury with Shevin. If you build a defensive playbook on making sure you just stop a star, that's a lot easier than having a playbook that in and of itself can beat you. I think this offense opened itself up, not having its usual 1A, and it benefited them. It, it came out, They came out, and even though they only scored in the first and fourth quarter, they scored at important times. They didn't have the crazy stats that they usually have. But as I've said all season, the only stat that matters is that dub and that L. If we got the W, I don't care if we got two passing yards. But at the end of the day, the freshmen got comfortable. In the fourth quarter, we started to see some of the things that they talked about about him during the offseason. I've seen him make that back shoulder throw to Calvin Turner in practice. I've seen him make those big long throws in practice. It's a lot more different when you're facing an 18th-ranked team, and I think for this offense, Bo Graham, to see that even without their star-studded quarterback, let's make no mistake about it, Shevin can play. Shevin can play, and he is a good quarterback. Knowing that we don't even need him to be successful against a team as good as Fresno State, I think that puts your confidence through the roof. I think that gives you the ability to call whatever you want and do whatever you want. And I think that going forward is going to be huge for this offense. Like you said, hiding if Shevin's hurt. Shevin can show up in the cast and start that day. We just have that type of mental game when you've already seen. We beat the 18th ranked team in the country, one of the best teams in the Mountain West, and every team facing us forward knows, well, man, we got two quarterbacks we got to study for. And luckily, they do not play the same. For our offense, Shevin and Braden do not play the same. So if you study for one, chances are you're going to get caught off guard by the other. I think that's what happened to Fresno Saturday night. You guys both brought up the running game. 232 yards rushing by this Rainbow Warrior offense. And really, the offensive line played spectacular. As Rich Miano noted earlier, uh, Day-Day Hunter was the star of the show. Though 21 carries, 127 yards rushing, 6 yards per touch. Calvin Turner goes four yards per touch, and Dedrick Parson goes 10 yards per touch. Uh, you know, w w Rich talked about the offensive line. You guys both talked about just how big this running game was, but Day-Day Hunter in specific. Uh, Rich, this is a guy that uh, every time I've watched Day-Day Hunter over the last couple of years, someone always jumped out into my memory banks, and, and it's the way he runs, and it's the way that especially when contact is made, his legs turn into like like uh, Barney Rubble, you know, on the Flintstones, where it just right. Michael Brewster. I mean, that, it's very hmm. similar running game uh, from from a Rainbow Warrior in the past um, through that June Jones era. But Rich Miano, how big was Day Day Hunter, and how deceivingly strong is this dude? Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, you mentioned uh, the offensive line, and and. Cole Laval broke their, you know, the rock last week with the sledgehammer. He broke the spirit, I think, of uh, that front of uh, Fresno State, along with Aliki Tanavasa, along with uh, Gene Pryor, along with Il Manning, along with uh, all of those guys on the offensive line. Best game, and I know you don't want to talk about that, Rob, because Day Day Hunter runs possessed. He was much, I think, the most effective game he's had as a warrior, running inside the tackles. And like you say, you may make initial contact at two or three yards, but it's 
the five, six, seven yards. And going back to my National Football League career, it reminded me of Emmett Smith. When you get into the locker room and they go, well, how do you think Emmett played? You know, you say, well, he got his, you know, 80 to 100 yards. No, it was 165. Because instead of having the three or four yard carry, it was the six or seven yard carry. Instead of having the eight yard burst, it was the 10 or 11. Because as you mentioned, Rob, the ability for that young man to keep his feet moving, his shoulder pad level low and bleed those extra yards is what's putting Hawaii's offense in a better predicament on second down. How important was it, RJ, for the fans? And maybe, maybe you could even say the offense as a group, whether you're a player on the, on the field or a player on the sideline, how important was it to see the running game work this way? Because, Bo Graham, offensive coordinator for the University of Hawaii, obviously loves what he has in this offensive line and in his running game by the way that you see him call a game. It's the way he called the Fresno State game. And, you know, it all goes down to, you know, production and numbers and, and success and victories changes the way how you feel about something. Um, I wouldn't say that this game was called any different than a lot of the other games. You just saw it work. How important was it for everybody associated with University of Hawaii football to see the running game work the way that it did on Saturday? Uh, huge, huge. And, and like Rich said, you know, you got to give and, – and me personally, I've always been the first to critique the offensive line, being a former offensive lineman. So I also want to be the same on the other end to say that that offensive line showed up and showed out. At the end of the day – the running game is purely X's and O's. If any one of those five offensive linemen missed their block, even with Day-Day Hunter churning his feet at 10,000 miles an hour, they're going to be able to stop that momentum faster and faster and faster. Him being able to get up to that second level because that first level is clear. Him, Bo Graham being able to call these different types of runs and know that they can work with different running backs. Calvin Turner was able to run. Dedrick Parson added 10 yards per carry. And that may not seem a lot, but if you think about, you know, 10 carries going for 40 yards, that's about your average. Four carries going for 40 yards, that's awesome. And that's about the same, you know, analogy that it comes to when you have Shevin going down and Braden stepping up. Knowing that even with Dedrick Parson, I can average 10 yards a carry. With Calvin Turner, I can get carries. With Day-Day Hunter, I can get over 100 yards in carries. That just alleviates the stress for everybody. For fans that were wondering why so many run plays are being called, now you see why. For people that were wondering why the run plays were being called, even if they weren't successful, now you see why. At the end of the day, I always talked about the stats not being the important part. You want to win and you want to lose. Game plans are made to win the game, and that's what this running game did. That's what seeing Day Day Hunter, Dedrick Parson, and Calvin Turner all attribute to this rushing game did, not only for the fans and for the players, but for Bo Graham himself. This guy's been under a lot of scrutiny all season. Let's not act like, you know, people have not been questioning the offense, questioning why you're running the ball, why you're running it so much, why it's so conservative to speak. Because now on Saturday night, we see when that running game gets going, even the best teams have the hardest time stopping it. And for the offense to see that, for the, the players to see that, for the fans to see that, I think it was the hugest sigh of relief. And like Rich alluded to a, a couple weeks ago, talking about buying into the game plan, buying into what the coaches are telling you. I think this game was huge for the running 
uh, aspect of that because at first you thought that maybe they were just running it just too. But now that you see there's a successful aspect of it, it'll be a lot easier for these run plays to be called with not as many question marks, with not as many, oh, why are we doing that? Now we know it is a part of a successful game plan and it worked against a good team. And I think that was great for everybody to see across the board from coaches all the way down to fans. Now, Rich Miano hasn't said it yet, but I know he's thinking right now, boys, this is a defensive unit that turned the ball over six times. If we're spending all this time talking about the offense, what's going on here? Rich Miano, this defense, <laughs> definitely the stars of the show. And, and when you look back and, you know, and we've said countless times that this is going to be a game we're going to be talking about for many, many years. And there are certain games that just stick with people. And I guarantee you that the face that is going to come to mind when you think of the year that Hawaii knocked off Fresno State in an empty stadium, the very first year at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex on national television, a ranked opponent, the face that will come to mind is Corey Bethley because that co-captain was incredible. Nine tackles. He had a sack. He had a forced fumble. He had two interceptions, so three forced interceptions alone, half of them coming from Corey Bethley. Rich, you've been talking about this guy. You've been singing his praises for years. Todd Graham calls him his favorite player on this football team and that he can't wait to hire him as an assistant coach one day because he is going to be a very successful coach. And Todd Graham's history tells you that he knows how to pick assistant coaches. Uh, Corey Bethley, what does he mean to this team? What did he mean to that game? And, and how special of a football player is that, Rich? Yeah, and let's start by saying winning is the most important statistics, but right below that should be takeaways. And uh, usually it's not And when you look at the statistics. But yeah, the ability to take the ball away and the ability to have a guy like number five, the ability to have him. I've seen him now, like just like Darius Moosau, come to the line of scrimmage and beat people with his hands, beat people with his speed, the ability to you know rush the passer. And not only sack the quarterback strip sacks and then you watch him drop into the middle third the deep third then you watch him come into the hole he does so much for this football team in terms of position versatility leadership and then the big plays you're right rob when we talk about the nevada game you may say Corey paredes or richard torres when you talk about the BYU bowl game, you say Corey Bethley on defense. This was his best game as a rainbow warrior. He will be Mountain West Conference Player of the Week. I mean, he would be a national player of the week because how often do you have two big time great interceptions, not tip balls, you know, floated to you by the quarterback, a strip sack caused fumble. I mean, this guy literally does it all, can line up at any position for you, including rushing the passer. And he's just a special, special player. Now, you've got two guys on this defense that are worth the price of admission, because I've said that before about Darius Moussa, because he's a, another Swiss Army knife. But Corey Bethley, wow. If this guy was six foot tall, six foot one, and I'm still not sure this guy can't be a Bob Sanders. I'm not sure this guy can't be one of those undersized Buddha Baker type of safeties, because it's like Alohi Gilman. It's instincts. It's not going for the pass breakup. It's going for the pass interception. It's not going for the sack. It's going for the strip sack. This guy's a big playmaker, and we are proud to witness this. As a former defensive back coach, he is uh, worth the price of admission. 
RJ Hollis, your thoughts on Corey Bethley and Rich Miano mentioned the Mountain West Conference Player of the Week. I mean, this is a guy that that should be picking up National Defensive Player of the Week honors. Uh, you know, back before I, I got into the collegiate level myself, I was a huge <laughs> Alabama fan. And, you know, Alabama one year went to the national championship and they had to play LSU who had a guy on there named Tyran Matthew. Now, at the end of the day, say what you will about making comparisons, say what you will about the, the span of somebody's career. That looked like a Tyran Matthew game on Saturday night. And that is about the closest I've seen to that since I've watched him in person myself to be all over the field the way he was with the fearlessness that he has, like Rich said, he's not, he's, if he's six feet in cleats, he's six feet in cleats with his helmet on. But that's not somebody <laughs> who's going to be naturally loading the box, being in coverage, forcing fumbles, going against linemen, being a linebacker. Be, that's your Calvin Turner of the defense. Not only that, you're talking about straight statistics, but there was two holding penalties, two very big holding penalties. That were caused by Corey Bethley going up against that left tackle who could not bend and keep up with him coming off that edge. So that's the type of unspoken plays that Corey Bethley was making on Saturday night. Now, at the end of the day, you got to keep it up. You got to have all the games going forward to kind of solidify what you did. But against Fresno State and for years to come, the name Corey Bethley will be up there with some of the top defensive players in the University of Hawaii's history. I mean, when you talk about two picks, two picks and a forced sack fumble from a guy that's listed as a defensive back size, that right there is playing way above your size. And, you know, for me to see that, that was just something so special for everybody that watched that. Corey Bethley had an absolutely special, monstrous game on Saturday night. Darius Moussau is a player that is also, you know, a price for admission himself. But come Saturday, Corey Bethley pretty much put that defense on its back that was already stellar on its own by itself. But that game on Saturday, I mean, if there's any portion of the game to talk about for years to come, it would be Corey Bethley's uh, performance, bar none. He was just everywhere, and he did everything. You know, hey, I have to I have to interject real quick, and I know you guys think I'm old and I'm corny, but every great <laughs> defensive player needs to have a nickname. You got the honey badger. What about the pineapple picker? <laughs> I, I, hey, you know what? You're old and you're corny, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, that that might need some work, and uh, I, we may have yeah, to tap violence. into the Bose football final mailbox uh, next week. Uh, why, don't, why don't you come up for a, a nickname for number five? Because I guarantee you that that will not be it for Corey <laughs> Bethley. But I love your effort. I love your enthusiasm. Uh, but, but that won't be it. Not a single chance. All right. Well, uh, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, the San Jose State loss, uh, which you now look at. I mean, it was such a close loss, one possession game that, man, if they if the Bulls pulled that out, they'd be 2-0 and in the Mountain West Conference. I mean, that... That would be some thing right there in the West Division. But but we talked about this team being one that appeared to be fractured on the sideline, that, that seemed to be short-tempered, that seemed to be not together. Um, and, and then you saw what they're able to do in New Mexico State. They come back in, in, in this Fresno game. And, and with everything swirling around the program, um, 
what did what could a victory like this do? Because what we saw on Saturday night was the complete opposite of what we were afraid of. Uh, of you know how close is this team? How much are all the outside issues? coming into the locker room and how much are the frustrations of other things of not being able to have your family at the crowd at the stadium, not being able to have fans, not being able to host recruits. I mean, all of these little things, um, uh, th there was a fear that this could damage this football team. How much could a win like this change the perception of how close a team is and and how much could this bring a team together and and create a common enemy amongst each other and, and be able to move forward despite all the challenges rich how, how big of a win could this be i think it's huge and i think when you have a bye week when you can get back to some of the fundamentals and when you look at the potential return of shevin cordero who's only throwing at a 50 54 percentage clip you know he's a 65 to 70 percent passer you know there's explosive plays but as we alluded to earlier the 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 advent of this running game the the confidence of this offensive line and I think you also know that this defense is going to get the ball back to you they may bend a little bit they may give up some chunk plays they may give up some yardage and that's part of the whole thing about blitzing backers and rundowns and and, and putting corners on islands and passing situations but Again, they lost Cameron Lockridge, and they came in with Hugh Nelson, and Cameron Lockridge had his best game last week. So it shows you the depth and the versatility of this football team and being able to play solid on all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams, allows you to think that, hey, if we play well, and I've been saying this all year long, we can beat these future opponents. We can win a Mountain West Conference Championship. All of our dreams are still out there other than David Ige letting fans into the stadium. All right. Well, you know what, uh, RJ, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, talk about how big of a win you think this could be moving forward, how much this could change a season. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to the elephant in the room of uh, the empty stadium once again. Uh, but, but RJ, uh, how, how big could this be for the Rainbow Warrior program and especially in, in the infancy of the Todd Graham era? Huge. Absolutely huge. You just knocked off. I mean, like I said, it prevents you from living in yesteryear where everybody's talked about Hawaii beating the, the ranked opponent in 2010. Hawaii hasn't beat Fresno in Honolulu since 2007. So that was even longer than that. You're starting to erase, you know, past generations and not erase them in the bad way where, you know, we'll forget to talk about them. But now you're putting focus on right now. You're putting focus on this team right now. You're getting the support, the, the study, the attention, the, the analysis right now. And make no mistake about it, it is great. It's awesome. But for this team, you need it because going forward, it does not end because you beat Fresno. Nevada, whom you have to play after your bye week, just beat Boise State at Boise for the first time since 1997. You have San Diego State coming here. And if Ige don't have no boy, uh, San Diego State, who's undefeated and more than likely is going, I'm pretty sure they're, they're ranked. Be, they're uh, ranked. They came uh, in at number 25. 25. So you have another ranked opponent coming up. You also have Wyoming to end your season. They're still undefeated. So as great of a win as it was, as much as it brought the spotlight on you now, you need it because going forward, the games are not going to just 
get easier. They're not going to fall off. Not only do you have hard opponents, but now they see you because you beat Fresno. You beat the top dog. So at the end of the day, you're now the team to beat, which is great to know. And I think that once you start to get these victories, once you start to get these big games, they help with your confidence going into other big games. And make no mistake about it, the University of Hawaii has other big games coming forward. So it was a great win. It was awesome. It was good for them to get it. And I think it's going to be great for their confidence going forward because they're going to need confidence going forward. You still are chasing a Mountain West championship. You're still chasing bowl eligibility. By no stretch of the imagination was this the end of the season. This was the front half of the season. So it was a great win. It was a huge sigh of relief for everybody. But you got to let it go. It's almost like, okay, it's Monday morning now. You get maybe two more, three more days because it's a bye week. So cool, have that. But come next week, you got to do this all over again because Nevada is not going to be an easy win. All right, we danced around it. The 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 deafening silence of an eighth consecutive home game with no fans in attendance for the Rainbow Warrior football program on Saturday, beating Fresno State despite all of that. But leading up to kickoff, what we saw over the course of the week um, was a support strengthen behind the Rainbow Warrior football program. Obviously, Governor David Ige throughout the week reinforced and reiterated his stance on he and the Department of Health feeling it is not safe at this time for a large social gathering to take place at a football stadium uh, with the current COVID numbers, with the current numbers within the hospitals here in the state of Hawaii. Um, you saw pushback from so many people, even council members and, and, and former players and former coaches. Um, you know, I think what added to the frustration was you saw, and, and this is something I mentioned last week, is, is you know, the, the Bose football final mailbox continually gets questions of why aren't you asking this or why aren't you asking that or why aren't you, and, and trust me, and I said it last week, these questions are being asked. They're just not being answered. And, you know, and I get it. You know, uh, you picture yourself being in the media and saying, well, this is what I would do. And, you know, I'm sure if, if the governor doesn't give you the answer you want, you're going to grab him by the shirt and say, you answer my question. You know, that's just not how it works. We live in reality. All right. All you can do is ask and continue to ask and find a new creative way to ask that same question in hopes that maybe one day you'll get that question answered. But we didn't see that. And we saw that go on throughout the week. You saw it in a uh, in in email statements. You saw it in one-on-one -on -one interviews. You saw it in a press conference. And and uh, to I think all of that added to the support. And I think, and 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 I don't think I'm overthinking here, and I don't think I'm I'm just trying to find the Disney narrative to it, but I think the Rainbow Warrior football team, I think the Rainbow Warrior football coaches. I think everyone associated with that program felt that support for the first time. I think they were frustrated. The fans were frustrated, but no one really added the support for the team. And I think you finally saw that this upcoming week leading into that Fresno state game. Um, with all that being said, we sit here on Monday morning, still unknown whether or not there is going to be, fans in the stands when the Rainbow Warriors return to face San Diego State after they play at Nevada. But 
after everything we learned here over the last couple of weeks and, and everything that we heard from the governor, everything that we heard from the support in hopes that the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex would at least have family and friends, maybe some fans, maybe some students. Where are you standing, guys? Rich Miano, how do you feel about this given situation? Do you feel like maybe that you're starting to get confidence or is it the opposite where you're thinking like, Hey man, this season might end and there might not ever be a fan in the stands. Well, I think Rob, you hit the nail on the head in terms of this last week, this became more than a sporting issue. This became a community issue, a city issue, a state issue. I think people are really starting to question David Ige because there's no longer any metrics. There's no barometer. It's not 50 cases or less. It's not this many hospitalizations. When you look at the case count, it has gone down on a weekly basis. When you look at the hospitalizations, it has gone down on a weekly basis. Now, you have to figure you now had the band. You'd had cheerleaders. Maybe next game, could you have some type of, if the cases continue to go down, there'll be a thousand people. Then the next home game, it'll be a half full stadium. And then the next uh, game, it'll be a full stadium. Something to give optimism for this struggling financial program, which is now coming off its biggest win in maybe a decade. I just think this whole state needs to have something positive come out of the governor's office because it's come out of the mayor's office, it's come out of the legislature, it's come out of the city council, and it's come in a resounding way from this fan base, which we need more fans to get involved in this because I think media pressure is maybe the best pressure we could have right now to put on the governor because these kids deserve it. You know, and personally, uh, there, there's a lot of conspiracies out there as far as, you know, what's happening. Like, why is this happening? And, you know, hey, everyone that, that it, it puts out their thoughts, I mean, it, it all makes sense because at this point, nothing makes sense. So therefore, any ideas you have make complete sense, right? But with that being said, I, I don't think that this is a bigger thing. I don't think this is payback for building Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex so fast and making the state look bad because the project was done so quickly. I don't think it's uh, a way to kill the UH athletics program so that it's less money that the state needs to, to offer up each year um, to help athletics come. I really don't. I think that this is a case of the, the governor, the Department of Health. I mean, you guys are football players. You guys, I mean, you've heard this a million times, control what you can control. And I think that is what's happening here is they can't control youth sports because that's a city and county park. All these little league games, all these things are being played on city and county parks. The mayor is allowing parents to be there and to be and to allow and there's nothing the governor can do about that there's nothing that anyone can do about that 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 is controlled by the city and county and that is why that those games are taking place that is why that there's parents at practices that's why there's parents at games now when it comes to the department of education so high school sports when it comes to university of hawaii when it comes to shamanad and uh hilo and all these other collegiate programs that is something that they can control and they're controlling it and so uh, with all that being said, call me naive, call me silly, um, because, you know, it, I probably felt this way last week. But I think that we are approaching the end of this. And I think that in, in some capacity that there will be fans in the stands and maybe it's just parents or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's student athletes or students uh, in the end zone or whatever it is. But I think that we are approaching the, an end to this. 
Um, but I've been wrong before and I've been told that I'm, I'm too naive and I, and I think too positively and I think the world is filled with rainbows and sunshines and unicorns, right? But hey, that's just the way I think. But RJ Hollis, how do you think? Um, sure. Hey, we, we in the brick house, man. We both football final and, and I'm gonna just be a thousand about it. I, I'm, I'm beyond aggravated. It, it's when you watch the first week and I haven't been able to watch regular college football like I have this past season. But when you watch the first week and I'm talking about all the way back to Penn State, Wisconsin and see 80,000 people unmasked doing a jump around. Okay, well, maybe you just attributed to that. But then when you have another week go by and another week go by and another week go by where you're seeing full fans, full stadiums with unmasked people about 10 to 15 times the size of what UH would be. And then you watch that all day to get to five o'clock and see that the 9,000 people stadium is empty. The one that would have asked for everybody to stay masked. The one that would have asked for a hundred percent vaccination, gave you a wristband, Lumi site, put that mask on. You might get popped. We're not playing for the, University of Hawaii to be the only university that did that to give this football program its chance to get out of that that funk that we've been in for for going on almost a decade at this point for that to be turned down multiple times in the sake of like you said for control I have a problem with that vaccinations were put out there to stop hospitalizations to lower your chances of spread these people went and got that not only did they do that, the university itself said the rest of the country may be letting people in with negative tests, which still proves you don't have COVID. If you get a negative test that same day, you're about the same as somebody that's vaccinated. There's a very low chance that you've developed COVID in the time of your test till now. But to see the University of Hawaii eliminate even that option, you're not going to test and come in here. You have to be vaccinated, nothing else and you're gonna be masked while you're here, and you're gonna be outdoors. For that to be denied week after week after week, for a university that was blindsided by a stadium being condemned, so they had to build this stadium in the first place? Come on, man. And, and, and moving outside of the fan part of it itself, my career now, it started as a pop quiz, but before that, I had a heart and soul write up going into my junior year. Somebody by the name of Rob DeMello decided they was going to make a story about RJ Hollis. <laughs> After I graduated, I meet this OG named Rich Miano that gives me a job at the Hula Bowl, that gives me the opportunity to meet Brian Baldinger and Mike Singletary and people like that. This is not just the fans we're talking about here. This is livelihood for these young men that if they were not at this university, God knows what they could be doing. God knows where they like to be ending up right now. And I know it may seem like I'm coming a little heavy handed at this, but not only are you denying these players something they so well deserve, because the more I watched Saturday night, the more I felt like fans would have won San Jose alone. 2-0 in the Mountain West, you beat a ranked team and now you're at the top of your conference. What does the livelihood turn out for the players on this team now? They don't know. They're not even there. Calvin Turner, one of the most electric playmakers we've had. Nobody's seen him score. 
For the sake of safety, I get it. That's why UH asked for vaccination. For the sake of super safety, I get it. That's why they asked for vaccinations and said they were going to keep you masked while you were outdoors. But for the sake of control, to just tell these people who are in the safest environment possible that they can't be in the safest environment possible because you want to control them? I'm sorry, Rob. I got a little bit of a problem with that. I really do. And I feel like this team is at a point now where they are pulling themselves out of yesteryear. This is a decade that has been hard. Minus the Rolo years before, this has been a hard, hard program to be a fan or a player of. And now you are in the position where you're pulling yourselves out. And the one person that you could attribute to that throughout every coaching change and every player change is this fan base. And they can't come. The parents, and they can't come. The students, and they can't come. So at the end of the day, to me, yeah, it, 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 it's 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 a little it's a little aggravating at this point. I, I feel like for them to do the university to go outside of their way to make it safe and to be shut down. I mean, you know, everybody's saying it's for the safety. So if it is, then great on Governor Ige. And maybe he just sees things that we don't. And at the end of the day, if that's the way it is, I commend him for it as I'm over here being critical. I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong if I'm wrong. But watching all of the rest of the country have full high school games, modern day in St. John Bosco have more than the University of Hawaii. Why? You know, you bring up an interesting point, RJ, in – we talked about this last week in regards to the Todd Graham era starting the when it did in 2020 through a pandemic, no fans for the whole first year, no Murphy's pigskin pig out, no charity functions, no public events, no shaking hands with students, no, no shaking food. hands with anybody, right? And then you enter a second year where that same thing is going. And, and how much of a disconnect is that creating from Todd Graham and his staff and, and what this Rainbow Warrior football program is to the fan base. And let's be real. I mean, I can just tell you, I, I, I can open up the Bose football final mailbox over the last two years and tell you that there is a disconnect that the, the fans do not feel the love, right? The fans do not feel a part of this program. And I really truly think that that is the biggest issue. Why is, is because of the wall that's built up between the program and the fan base, right? And so we talked about that last week and we talked about that's probably what is going on here. Um, and, and that is why it, that, that there seems to be a lack of connection. Uh, but you brought up a really interesting point to where, you know, these players at this time in their lives, right? They're in college. Um, some will go on and play football, and whether it's in the National Football League or Canadian Football League or Indoor Football League, or some even going to Europe now. We saw uh, Ryan Tuiasoa is having a great career in Europe, and um, uh, uh, the Laka -Laka, uh, uh, Ronley Lakalaka, who went to San Diego State, is playing up in Germany. And, um, but anyway, uh, these guys will, will play football. Some of them will. Some of them will not. Rich will tell you this. RJ will tell you this, that it is such an important time in their lives to build relationships and build your network uh, for what is after football and that is something that these guys have not been able to do whether it's with the community whether it's with boosters whether it's with former players who can maybe one day offer them a job and and so with all that being said and and this is going to sound preachy um 
But I think of all the University of Hawaii football teams of all time, in the over 100 years of Rainbow Warrior football, this is probably a team that should get more support and should feel more love from the people than any team ever. Because no team has ever had to go through what these guys have gone through. Rich, is that a fair statement? Is that a fair uh, thought process? Yes. Rob, I think that's a very fair assessment. And I've talked to Todd Graham at length regarding building this new stadium, developing a fan base, selling luxury boxes, you know, making this program one that's a consistently good one instead of an occasionally great one. And when you start talking about memories and, uh, and just uh, the ability to attract transfer portal kids, the ability to uh, attract local recruits, uh, you're already behind the eight ball with a 9,000 seat stadium that you're trying to continually build bigger. But I think also from a financial standpoint, you're, you're endangering gender equity sports, non-revenue producing sports. And there's more to it than that. I think this is something that when you change a habit of a season ticket holder on a Saturday evening and they decide to go bowling, they decide to go walk on you know, the beach at Alamoana Beach Park. They decide to go out and have cocktails with their wife or their significant others. You may not get that fan back because they realize that you may be able to watch this on social media in terms of highlights. So you have to continue to reach out to your student, your season ticket holders. You've got to engage the students in terms of fan participation now that you're on campus with in-game entertainment. We are losing the ability to continue to be a division one prospect from recruiting to financially to fan base and all of these other things, which you can say that's myopic, Rich, and that's just about football. But no, it affects every single sport. It affects our ability for entertainment in terms of what we have in Hawaii because there is no professional sports. This is our professional team. And you, you also affect the ability of people to have a good time and enjoy uh, the University of Hawaii because this is a special team. And I hopefully that will play itself out. And RJ, I want to give you a chance to, to comment on that. But also I want to ask you this, that – you know, we see it time and time again, and one that pops into my head is, is the Kahuku Red Raider football program. And for so many years, Kahuku prided themselves on having the worst jerseys, right? On having face masks that don't match, on having chip paint on their helmets. And they would almost, ra on, on their field being just absolutely horrible, especially after rain. And, and, and they would rally around that, right? And they would say, you know, that's what makes us who we are. And that's what brings so much more joy and honor and pride when they beat everybody else is, oh yeah, look at your fancy uniforms and look what we were able to do. Is there any chance that, although a very different situation, but in the scope of things, you're, you're viewing it as adversity and, and, and a challenge and, and winning despite is there any way that the University of Hawaii football team could rally around this? And not just the players, but the fan base as well. So instead of it being a negative of kicking the can down the road of like everyone's against us, you know, the governor and this and that and the stadium. And, uh, is there any chance that Hawaii football can rally around the circumstances? Um. Well, I'm gonna have to be honest. It, it's, 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 I get what you're saying. And at the end of the day, I feel like, like you said earlier, the support in its and of itself has kind of 
made its way to the football team because they see what they don't have. But at the end of the day, the fans can't rally around anything. They can't be together. They can't be around each other. And I mean, maybe we 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 could take it to to um, I believe it's 2018. Chevin Cordero comes in against UNLV. 21 points down, and then he gets mm-hmm. three touchdowns. There was something like 20,000 people, 22,000 people, not a lot of people. But I remember that final two drives, how loud, how rambunctious that stadium got, how crazy that stadium got, and how much it must have made everybody else feel like a million bucks because even as an analyst, not being able to put on shoulder pads, I'm over on the sideline, I feel like a billion. I'm pumping up the crowd on third down as an analyst. So if I'm doing that, I know that's the fans are feeling 10 times more in the crowd. You can't have that. Then at the end of the day, it's only so much support I can do from Twitter. Only so much support I can do from my Instagram. Only so much support I can do. This is football. You come to these games and the average fan consumes alcohol to get turned up and scream for an hour straight. <laughs> and for two years, you haven't been able to do that. Like Rich said, they season ticket holders might have gave their Saturdays up to bowling. They might have gave it up to jet skis. They might have gave it up to, to Keiki's Beach on the North Shore. And what is there to rally behind when you can't even come watch a practice? So at the end of the day, obviously you want to support them. That's what you were doing when they were losing. 50000 is way too much for a mid-major stadium. Nobody in Hawaii ever knew that because in 07 they were selling it out. Even as we were losing under child, we're averaging more numbers than almost everybody we're playing against. But that's because they could come to Aloha Stadium. They could be in that parking lot. They could yell. They could cheer. They could have that brotherhood. I remember you uh, a couple weeks ago talking about y- your father's friends that came to the UH game, that set of friends he had that came to the UH game. There were families that meshed on that. We used to do the warrior walk and see the same families in the same spot. They haven't had that for two years. So what is there for them to rally behind besides we support you and not getting mad at not being able to go to the game? The support is already there. I I, I see it. I see it every day when I'm interacting with fans. You see it in people's anxiety to get to the stadium. It's there. People want to get behind this team more than anything. But when you're physically not allowed to get behind them, when you live in Mo'ili Ely and can't walk to, and I'm not just talking about, you know, analysts, I'm talking about the average fan that knows they live <laughs> in walking distance and have been waiting decades for this to happen and they can't go. Why not give, I'm, I would, I've only been around the team for seven years and it make my blood pressure get high every time I talk about it. For the people that have spent decades uh, putting themselves to this program, giving themselves to this program, fan, coach or whatever, I, I, I don't see how, I get what you're saying, and I do believe there is a positive support for it, but I feel like it's doing way more damage for the fan base, for the camaraderie, than good. Hey, hey Rob, let, can I interject? I, I think what you're alluding to, Rob, is the potential for this team to use this as a rallying cry in terms of us against the world. We don't even have fans. We don't have support. We don't have any money coming into this program. But in every other aspect, as RJ is talking about, this is a huge negative and it's disheartening. It's a travesty and it hurts. But hopefully this team will continue to use this as a rallying cry. And that's what the coaching staff should be, you know, insisting upon and, and use, using this as a weapon. But 
man, every other way, Rob, I can't imagine anything positive about this. Yeah, and there, there is no sugar coating, right? I mean, we, you talk about long-term effects. I mean, just this oh, recruiting shoot. class that, that's going to be coming up here in 2021. Uh, I, if, if Todd Graham and his staff pull in anybody, I'm blown away, right? If you get anybody in this recruiting class, it's like, wow, those guys were working. Um, and so, yeah, that is definitely, I mean, you can't even bring a kid to a game. You can't even bring them to your facility, even though, you know, and people would joke like, well, you don't want to bring them to the facilities anyway. But I mean, it, it, it's part of bringing them to Hawaii, right? And it's part of yeah. bringing them to the atmosphere. Let them meet the students. I mean, that's not even happening, right? And, and so, yeah, the, the long-term effects, and then you get into the finances of everything. Um, yeah, there there is no positives. Um, I'm thinking just more along the lines of, a fan base realizing how important they are and that if they want their team to win that, you know, that they need to be there to support this team. And, and obviously not there in person, but there as in, in spirit and being there as in, in support. And, and, and this conversation will continue and we'll see what will happen. And, and like we talked about, you see the support coming out from all walks of life here in the state of Hawaii for this University of Hawaii football program. And the one thing we got to keep in mind is that it's not just the UH football program that's being affected by this, right? It's all the program. It's the Wahine volleyball team. It's the Wahine soccer team. It's the Chaminade women's volleyball team who's nationally ranked right now in Division Two, with a handful of Division One uh, transfers that they're going to be really good for the rest of the year. This is a team that we're going to be talking about going into the division two national tournament. And, and so they can't play in front of any fans. They're going through all these similar things. They can't recruit, they can't do all these things, but the UH football team is the face of sports here in the state of Hawaii. And so they're getting the most of the attention. Um, but this is going to continue. And like I said, call me silly. I feel like the, the, the strides that have been making, that have been taken over the past couple of weeks are leading us closer to the end result that we all want. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I, I feel like it's, it's making it's, it's progress towards letting us back. But Rob, like you said, it's more than just UH football being affected. I have a fiance whose younger brother is a senior at Kahuku. Now the last time he played a snap of football, he was a sophomore. Now, as far as just looking, you know, to what that means in general, well, when you look at guys like Koali Nishigaya, when you look at guys like Darius Moussao, when you look at guys like Shevin Cordero, who were noticed quietly their junior year and then got a lot more attention their senior year and UH was able to grab them, well, these are players you might not be able to get now because they may have gone to the mainland, they may have transferred elsewhere, or they may have decided they just don't want to play football anymore. So at the end of the day, the effects – are going to get worse the longer they're not allowed to happen. But at the same time, I do feel like there's progress going towards it. They let the band in. They let the dancers in. You know, we obviously know this team can use no fans as a rallying cry because they did it Saturday night. So we know they still have some form of camaraderie every Saturday when they hit the locker room. Now we're just talking about the effects exponentially we're talking about the effects years out not only for Chaminade and UH football for local high school football recruits that 
UH cashes out on year in and year out because they can't fly every Friday night to California to recruit. They can't fly to Texas to recruit. When you know your game ends at home, if you're lucky, maybe you can go see a couple local kids. Or the night before a UH game, you could drive around to the Mililani Punahou game, to the Kahuku St. Louis game, and pick your litter there. But they haven't even played those, you know, constructed open division games for two years. So I, I think it's really just the effects going forward that kind of make this thing get worse the more home games we have without fans. So I, I think that's kind of the big issue right now. But being honest, Rob, I think every fan, I think this is the tightest that the fan base has been. I think this is the tightest that the football players have been because in doing this, we all kind of got ourselves a more uh, common enemy of we just want to go back to normal football. You know, like people used to say, oh, you don't want to bring people to the facilities at UH. You do now. <laughs> oh, you don't want only 18,000 people at Aloha Stadium. You do now. Oh, well, I, I don't care about an open division if I'm going to UH. You do now. So now that this attention has been brought to UH, I think that is a positive. But as long as it's not allowed to have normal recruiting you're not allowed to even sell tickets or have your mama and daddy come watch you play I had my best games when my mama came you can ask coach Chris Naoli because he used to tease me about it every time your mama come you get the highest grade he used to always say that Calvin Turner can't play in front of his mama how many yards you think he get if she show up <laughs> just saying so I think that right now is becoming what everybody's looking at is how much better could this team be if it was just given the mere basics at this point because they don't even have that? Well, the University of Hawaii football team able to do the improbable and that it was beat 18th ranked Fresno State, a, a win that I sound like a broken record, but we're going to be talking about for many years to come. Now, usually we go through the Bose football final mailbox. I can guarantee you that as I skimmed through it, we covered pretty much everything. There were a few things uh, and questions that I loved that I'm going to actually hold on to because we have a bye week coming up for the University of Hawaii football team. And so next week, I'm going to give everyone a heads up right now is that we're going to open up the Bose football final mailbox once again. I'm going to keep a couple from this week. And then I want you guys to flood some more in because next week's episode will be almost all Bose football final mailbox. And we will go over the, the, the questions and the comments that you guys have Right now, uh, pertaining to this Rainbow Warrior football team, hey, who knows? Maybe we're talking about more restrictions being lifted, and maybe uh, certain things will be checked off uh, the checklist for the University of Hawaii football team and its fans and what they want to see happen here for the remainder of the 2021 season. Uh, but that's it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, though, if, if there's anything else you guys want to add before we uh, wrap this thing up and we say aloha and we get our work week started, uh, what is it? A anything, Rich, RJ? Proud, 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 proud. And that's all I can say. Uh, I was a fan guy. So to have a ranked opponent come into an empty stadium and for this team to play the way that it has uh, against all this adversity, I'm just super proud alumni right now. Proud former offensive lineman. But going forward, you still have challenges. So do not get hung up on this win too long. There are going to be teams that are going to test your chin. Nevada is going to be one of them. So enjoy it. You got a bye week. It's awesome. Live in the moment for a little bit. But after that, there's going to be plenty of high-octane games coming forward in this Mountain West division. So get ready for it.
Well, much mahalo, everybody, for joining us on Bo's Football Final. As always, you can find me on social media, at Rob DeMello on Instagram, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N on Twitter, RJ Hollis and Rich Miano. You can find them there as well. And uh, we were here every Monday morning, K-H-O-N-2.com, and anywhere you download podcasts. Mahalo for supporting Bo's Football Final. Have a great day, everybody. Aloha.